This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 31. This is Writing Excuses, learning to listen as a writer. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. What? <laughs> I'm <Brandon>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mary. I'm disappointed. <laughs> In Howard. <laughs> um, so, old adage in writing, write what you know, which I've always found a strange adage because if I only wrote exactly what I know, and I think every new writer thinks this, you're going to end up with exactly the same book um, mm-hmm. every time. But that's not what that adage means. No, I've always thought that that adage actually means extrapolate yeah. from what you know. And learn lots of things. Mm-hmm. It kind of I've always often heard it referenced in this sort of, make sure you know before you write. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is, if you want to write really spectacular characters, you probably want to learn to be an observer of human behavior and learn how to incorporate that into your writing. Uh, which is full of all sorts of pitfalls at the same time. So let's dig into it. Um, how often do you incorporate things you see around you, specifically people? How do you do it? Uh, what are the what are the issues you need to be aware of? A lot of times I'm doing it unconsciously um, because it's you know uh, just something that I have overheard or seen, and and you know it's a, it's a mannerism. I don't actually remember where I saw it or picked it up. Other times I do it quite consciously where I will, uh, someone will say something, I'm like, that's really smart and clever. Um, and and I will, I have been known to just write it down. Mm-hmm. Do you warn them when you do? Uh, if, if it's someone I know, I warn them. Mm-hmm. If it's someone where it's on the subway or something, I'm like, they're right. not even going to remember that they said that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's not that I'm... Uh, the chances of it actually, first of all, the chances of my writing it down being exactly what they said, right? Pretty slim. But um, and frequently, I don't wind up using it, but just the uh, the attitude of the character will stick. For me, it'll often be like if it's a clever quip like that. Yeah. It's the concept. Why did I find this funny? Um, a plus B was amusing to me. Yeah. Can I come up with other A plus Bs that are funny in the same way? But sometimes it's the same things you just mentioned. I say that character, that the way this person is talking, that snapshot of um, a personality is something I want to start playing with in my head until a character will yeah, pop out. And in terms of behavior as a writer, um, I would categorize that more under pay attention than listen. Mm. Uh, listen for me usually means when I'm talking to another person, when we're having a conversation, um, I want to spend less time talking than I spend listening. And I don't want to tune out the things that I don't understand. Uh, a while back, I just posited a question in response to some silliness that was happening. If somebody in a conversation with you describes an experience they've had that is completely alien to you, what is your reaction? Uh, Do you explain it away by telling them they're wrong, or do you believe them because there must be some reason that they're telling you this and continue to listen and maybe learn about something that is completely alien to you? And after adopting that second mindset, after realizing, you know what, 
my experiences, no matter how old I get, how well-traveled I get, how smart I think I am, my experiences are always going to not include 99% of what happens out there. If I want to be able to put those things in a story, if I want to be able to be a good person, I have to listen and I have to believe because most people, I mean, when, when people are telling you about a thing that happened to them or a way that they feel, most people aren't lying about that. They're, they're being honest. Mm-hmm. The, one of the things that you were saying about the, the, the fact that your, you know, your experience is only going to be, you know, like 1% at best of, of, of commonality or overlap. Um, it just reminded me the, uh, do you know where, uh, write what you know comes from? No, I don't. It's actually Hemingway, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it mm. badly, but um, but he basically said uh, something like, if I write, if I pick one thing that I know each day and write a story based on that, I will never run out of ideas, which is a very different interpretation of write mm. what you know. And, and I think that one of the things for me about uh, learning to listen as a writer is also learning to listen to the... Uh, to your own experience and the places where your experience overlaps with someone else's, that that drawing those lines and those parallels are one of the things that can can help you um, kind right. of unpack stuff. Right. You may not, in other words, know what it's exactly like to be a welder in the 1940s, but you might know what it's like to be a father. Mm-hmm. And build on that commonality and explore the parts that are different while reinforcing the parts the same as you build a character. Yeah, and this is something that my mom talks about. Um, so my mom uh, spent, I don't know, several decades as an arts administrator and would have to, uh, she would have to schmooze. She was a fundraiser. And so her job was to be an active listener because mm-hmm. that is the best way to make someone feel um, feel like they are in, in an interesting conversation is to let them talk about themselves or the mm-hmm. things that they're interested in. But to keep from lying about it, mom would steer the conversations to those overlaps, those places where the other person had something that she was also interested in. Um, and, and I think that that's one of the things as a writer that when we talk about learning to listen, it's, you know, it's, it's really learning to be curious and engaged with other people and uh, to not center yourself in the conversation. Yeah, when I am talking to someone, particularly when I'm trying to learn someone and learn learn something, I, I always learn the best stuff when I let them tell me what they want to tell me rather than trying to, to get one piece of information. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I was talking to um, lawyers, I did a bunch of lawyer research for one of my books, and, you know, there were two or three key things that I needed to know in order for my plot to work. But I learned so much more by just saying, well, you know, you, you're the expert here. Tell me more about your job and about what it's like and about your experiences. Um, and just letting them take the conversation where they wanted. This is part of why we're trying to do this this year on Writing Excuses is give you once a month or so a glimpse into someone's life that you may not have a chance to interview or things like this Mm -hmm. that you can use as a resource. Um, My question then to you, to the podcast, is twofold. How do you record these things when you're interviewing someone? What what physical means do you use? And number two, at what point do you need a release form? Um, 
to, to use this sort of thing? Uh, do you ever need a release form or what, what's the, what's the, the possible? I, I have never actually used a release form. Um, typically I will mention if, if mention them in the acknowledgements of the book and put in the little line of, you know, if there's mistakes, they're my fault, not theirs. Yeah. You know? okay. I've used a contract um, when I have been uh, using someone uh, using expert knowledge mm-hmm. um, with both uh, in, in the Glamorous Histories, uh, actually Glamorous Histories and uh, Calculating Stars. Um, I wound up hiring, uh, in Glamorous Histories, I hired a historical law expert Um and I also hired a um, an Antiguan writer editor to to handle some dialect that I knew I was going to screw up. And for um, the calculating stars, I hired an actual rocket scientist. Um, and then I also worked with some uh, some astronauts and some other NASA people who will who were not allowed to do this for money um, because it was exploiting their government position. But with all of them, I'm very upfront about this is the information that I need to to get. And I do my research before I talk to them so that I'm not asking them the 101 questions. It's like, how does a rocket fly? Um, I don't, (laughs) you know, I, I, what I do is I usually um, go in with very specific things that I need to know that I can't find. Um, and, uh, and then, and sometimes I will also do Mad Libs, um, where I will write a line that <laughs> just says, he fiddled the jargon and turned to her and said, jargon. Jargon, the jargon. <laughs> that was the version of Calculating Stars that I read. It was awesome. <laughs> now, I was a lot of jargon. <laughs> I want to throw something out to you, uh, listeners. We are planning right now to go to NASA and get you some, uh, some actual, ast- actual, actual astronauts on the podcast. Um, I, I tell you this, we'd keep it a surprise, but I have <laughs> we cannot I have no well, at this point in the faith in our ability point, to not tweet They may have already it. heard one of those episodes. Um, they may have. That's right. It's possible. Uh, um, maybe. I, this I, was either really surprising or now you know how excited we were about that thing yeah. that you heard us be very yeah. enthusiastic about when we uh, recorded it. Were we going to put that one at? Yeah. But so, so I want to jump in quick and say that, that what Mary's talking about here are, are very kind of specific and professional relationships. And uh, if what you're doing is just putting in, you know, putting people that you know into your work, you often have to be much more careful. Um, when I wrote Extreme Makeover, which is about a beauty company, and I have worked in several beauty companies, I went out of my way to make sure that none of the executive staff in that book were recognizably similar to the executives that I had worked with in those companies. Yeah, that's smart. To avoid this kind of, you know, what did you do? It might be urban lore because I've never had it explained to me firsthand. And so this is not legal advice and I'm not a lawyer. But I've heard told to me that the dividing line is when you use somebody's personal experience, um, like they tell you a story of when they were in World War II and what mm-hmm. exactly happened to them. That's w- and then you use that exact story. That is where you're crossing the line into danger territory that you're going to want to have a release. Um, because potentially, if that person were to decide to write a book about their life in World War II and you have used their story, they could materially prove 
that your story has wounded their chances of their story selling. Um, yeah. When you say this person is a big, um, interesting blowhard at a company, I'm going to create a big, interesting blowhard like them and write a story. You don't need a release for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you're not going to get a design one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if they're yeah. the blowhard. Uh, yeah. Uh, just <laughs> listeners, uh, you're you're right. We 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 did go to NASA last week for you guys. Literally last week. Awesome. But, but you can tell that we have not been to NASA yet, so we're engaging in when time we travel. When we went to NASA last week, they had a time machine. Yes. <laughs> we will have another NASA episode coming up. I think it's when we will go to NASA <laughs> last we, week. When we, will, when we will have gone to NASA. Um, Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's stop for the book of the week. Howard, um... Okay, um, in the interest of learning to listen, um, there's a, a, it's a nonfiction book by Stephen Dubner and uh, Stephen Levitt called Think Like a Freak, The Authors of Freakonomics Offer to Retrain Your Brain. And it is, it, it's a fairly short read. I think it's about a five-hour uh, five audio book, and it's got a couple of hours of the uh, Freakonomics podcast tacked onto the end of it. Um, but they talk about how uh, their data gathering tools as economists, as researchers, uh, forced them to rethink things that were conventional wisdom, common knowledge, whatever, completely turning some of our ideas on their heads. And uh, and honestly, if you if you're unfamiliar with with uh, Freakonomics and all that, uh, that five hour listen um, may very well. Uh, retrain parts of your brain so that you can listen in ways that you weren't able to before. Yeah. If you have somehow come to our podcast and not listened to one of the most popular <laughs> podcasts in the entire world, then you should be familiar with it because it's actually a very yep. fun listen. Uh, and they're, they're great books. I really enjoy them. Well, and uh, uh, Dubner, um, the, the journalist of the two, uh, Dubner narrates and he's so conversational. It's just a, it was, it was a delight to listen to this book. So, Building off of that, how specifically do you guys take a nonfiction book and use it as research for a book you're working on? Heavily, um, <laughs> says the person who writes historical fantasy and science fiction. Um, I use it really heavily, but what I do is um, I look for uh, common experiences uh, that that I see multiple types of characters have. Um, I... Uh, but I'm, I'm also not above like going, wow, that's a really harrowing story that I am giving as backstory to one of my characters. I typically don't, I can't even say that. Um, usually you can take a single incident and when you put it into your story, the, uh, the context is so different and the characters that are happening are so Mm -hmm. different that Mm -hmm. it's not the same thing. Like, um, in uh in there's a, a character in calculating stars who uh has a, a medical issue that was a medical issue that I read about in an astronaut biography 
Uh, but it is also a medical issue that my father-in-law experienced. Um, and my father-in-law is a Vietnam-era fighter pilot. And in both cases, it was probably caused by um, by being a fighter pilot. So that was that was the kind of thing that I was like, well, this this experience is something that I feel totally free lifting because it's it's um, it's not a, a unique experience, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I'm taking the um, the inspiration from a specific astronaut. Right. You biography. want you want to take this and have it inform a larger picture of a character you're developing yeah. um, rather than lifting one person wholesale and having every beat be the same. Well, and, and the other thing is that, you know, you can take the same incident, um, but the character is going to react to it differently than the real person did. And that's the stuff that's interesting. Now, procedurally for me, uh, I've found that I've consumed over the last couple of years, I've probably consumed 250 hours worth of, uh, documentaries on World War II and space travel and uh, and a whole host of whole host of other things. And all of that, I can't point at any one thing specifically that has informed my writing, but my writing is better as a result. Things have a more real shape because I am learning more real things. And one of the most important skills I picked up was the ability to question myself, before I commit to something in print, where I would take something that I'm writing that, you know what, I'm, that, yeah, that's right. I remember reading this, in a, you know, in a whatever or hearing in a documentary, uh, writing something down, often, you know, something scientific or mathematical or whatever. And then I'll stop and say, you know what, let's take a moment and Google and make sure I'm using those words correctly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. often I will, f- I will find out that, you know what, I remembered that incorrectly and I'm going to fix that now. Um, it's, yeah, the, the more I know, the more I pause to check what I know before I commit something to print. Now, did you say mathemological? I said mathemological, and I that said it on so purpose awesome. because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but now we've called attention to it. Um, I've been trying to remember the name of this woman, and I can't, and I feel very bad. I will look it up and make sure it gets in the liner notes. But um, I listened to a memoir by a woman who was a chaplain for the Forest Service. Ooh. And it was fascinating. And there was one particular incident with a murder that she had to deal with that I just thought was incredible. Uh, and I spent a year or so trying to figure out how I could incorporate some aspect of that into the book I was writing and realized that what I loved about it was her reaction and her choices that she had made in that event. Mm. And that is what kept feeling wrong and why I ended up not using that. And so that for me has become the line that if I'm going to talk about an event or a technology or a thing or an illness or whatever it is, that's fair game. But if I am cribbing somebody else's very specific reaction to it, Mm -hmm. then I've stepped over the line. Yeah. As as we are uh, wrapping up, the thing that I'm going to say that we have not said is we've been talking about looking at the commonalities, but the the other thing that's really hugely important is to look at and celebrate the differences, uh, because those are the things that are going to make your characters really pop out and be unique. So the commonalities are the things that you can be like you can kind of coast on those, and it's important to know where they are. But the places where your character reacts that are different. Those are the things that are, are, 
uh, I think really important. Um, my, my mother-in-law says that, um, uh, you know, that you love someone because you, when you love them because of their flaws. And I think that that's kind of one of the things with, when we're trying to create, uh, characters and to listen as a writer, to, to listen to the things that, that are different from us and to, to celebrate those. Awesome. Um, Dan, you're going to give us some homework. Yes, we talked earlier in the episode about interviewing people, and so we want you to do that. Um, And it might be a good idea to uh, use a clipboard just so you have something that makes you look a little more like an official interviewer and a little less like a weirdo in a grocery store. Uh, But find somebody that you don't know out in the world and just ask them if you can take a few moments and, uh, and just interview them quickly. Ask about their lives. Ask about, you know, what they do, their job. Learn something you didn't know before about a person that you've never met. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 